Welcome to the A Catholic Life Podcast. I am Matthew, the author of A Catholic Life, welcoming you to episode 51 of the A Catholic Life Podcast. In today's episode on Sexagesima Sunday, I address the following topics. First, the recent release of the second edition of my book, The Definitive Guide to Catholic Fasting and Absence. I'm extremely excited to announce this, and I'll have more information regarding what is different in the book and why it's so important. Secondly, I address the readings for Sexagesima Sunday briefly. Thirdly, I address the feast this week on Tuesday after Sexagesima, which is celebrated in some places, and it is the feast day, the votive feast, in honor of the Passion of Christ. And fourthly, I address briefly the upcoming feast days this week, and there are many to focus on. But before I do so, I would like to stop and thank the sponsor for today's episode. This episode is sponsored by CatechismClass.com. CatechismClass.com is the leader in online Catholic catechism classes, offering everything from online children's catechesis courses to RCIA classes to traditional Catholic adult continuing education so those who have not been properly formed in the faith or want to go deeper can easily and affordably do so. They also offer marriage preparation, baptismal preparation for godparents and parents, confirmation preparation, quinceanera prep classes, catechist training courses, and so much more. In fact, they even have some paperbacks now. In fact, it is also worth mentioning that it is never, absolutely never, too late to study the fullness of the Catholic faith, and catechismclass.com is the gold standard in authentic Catholic faith formation online. Please check out their special Lenten study course, now available for 25% off. It will have lessons on all of these pre-Lenten Sundays like today, Sexagesima, and throughout Lent. In fact, they have different lessons throughout even some of the weekdays of Lent, so you can go deeper and really focus on improving spiritually this upcoming Lenten season. Use discount code LENT25, that's L-E-N-T-25, to save 25% on that Lenten study course. On to the first topic of today's episode. I'm extremely happy to announce the second edition to the Definitive Guide to Catholic Fasting and Absence is now available. And as we are beginning to prepare for the Great Lenten Fast, and I'm encouraging everybody to begin fasting and abstaining already during Septuagesima, I think it's extremely important to mention why this book is so useful. So in early 2022, I wrote and launched the first edition of the Definitive Guide to Catholic Fasting and Absence, based on over three years of research into the forgotten and untold history of how the Catholic Church went from roughly one-third of the year fasting and two-thirds as days of absence to only two days of fasting nowadays. I published the book so it would be available in time for Lent of last year, even though many priests said that 95% of it was entirely new to them, I still had more research to undertake to finish my study of this forgotten history. So after another year of research and work, largely made possible due to the generous donations and support of my Patreon members, I am delighted to launch the second edition of the book. The second edition features some of these topics which were not covered or were covered only very briefly in the first edition. 
And they include detailed explanations of how fasting changed in countries besides America, with focus on Spain and the Philippines, for instance. I have a detailed explanation of who was exempt from fasting and and or absence and how those changes were documented and taught in various catechisms over the centuries. I have mentioned Easter week food traditions, Armenian fasting and abstinence rigors, Maronite fasting guidelines, the example of St. John of the Cross and the primitive rule of Pope Urban IV versus the mitigated rule of Eugenius IV. I talk about how the time of the meal on fasting days differ with, for instance, after sunset for Ember Days, but 3 p.m. for the weekly devotional fasts. The food customs that originated during Ember Days are covered as well, along with the forgotten fast from flesh meats and food cooked in fat on Holy Innocence Day. I discuss why the laws of fasting and absence by immortally, the often unknown Bula de Crasada history for why fasting became so forgotten in Spanish territories. I mentioned semi-fast versus full fasting days, the time of the conventional mass and how the traditional midnight fast would or would not impact that, and so much more, including a distinction between black fasting, the passion fast, and others, along with St. Michael's Lent, the assumption fast, the importance of Thanksgiving after communion, why certain animals like capybara, muskrat, and beavers were not treated as meat in some places. In fact, there's ever even definitions of what's a simple versus complex liquid and which liquids were traditionally allowed on fasting day. So I hope you understand this second edition is not like what some people do with the second edition where they want to make some more money and they change a few words around. They say, I have a second edition. This book is nearly double the size of the first edition. So if you have not obtained a copy of the definitive guide to Catholic fasting and absence, or even if you have, please add the second edition to your library, study it and prepare for Lent. You will be shocked at the rigor and the spirituality and the great joy of fasting, which I hope to convey throughout this book. It has really been a labor of love. So please, it's available in paperback, PDF, and Kindle. And I hope you can add it to your library today. On to the second topic now of this episode. I'd like to mention briefly, again, that we are on Sexagesima Sunday. And the readings for today are quite beautiful. In fact, there's a very long passage from 2 Corinthians in the epistle. And the gospel itself is uh, taken from the gospel of, according to St. Luke, chapter 8. And it talks about the parable of the seed. And as we focus on these gospel readings, I think they're particularly beautiful leading up to Lent. We see how important it is to make the so-called, you know, soil of our soul fertile to to really ensure that we're in a proper place to go into Lent. We don't just one day we're, you know, on an average day and next day it's Ash Wednesday. We have to ease into it. So really focus on what are the resolutions that you need to do to make sure your soul is able to receive the special graces that God is going to give you during the season. Are you prepared, for instance, to fast for all 40 days of Lent? Are you prepared to abstain from meat and all animal products that is go entirely vegan for all of Lent, including Sundays? I've written before on how this was the practice for centuries, in fact, until a relatively modern times. This is our heritage, and it is so important that we recover it and restore it in our own disciplinary lives at home. But we also need to focus on what charitable works of mercy are we going to be doing this land? What almsgiving to support traditional Catholic cult, uh, causes? We also should focus on what additional prayers we're doing. What additional masses can we go to? Additional rosaries? What additional, um, for instance, litanies we can do? Are we making time for mental prayer? 
Are we making time to pray the divine office? This is truly a boot camp for the soul we're about ready to enter. So you cannot run a marathon if you don't prepare. Similarly, you cannot hope for a good Lent if you just walk into it. Be prepared. It is a race. As last weekend's gospel reading, um, um, as readings talked about, that the prize that is in front of us is is uh, the crown that we uh, really hope to gain. But we can't gain it if we're not prepared. Just like you cannot run a marathon if you're just coming off the couch. So focus on these readings. I hope that everybody is making time to especially pray or fully consider the readings for this season. The second thing I'd like to, uh, now the third thing I'd like to mention for this particular episode is this um, custom in some places uh, to at least observe devotionally in our own lives these different votive feasts in honor of our Lord's Passion. I mentioned in the episode last week how there was a votive feast in honor of the prayer of Christ in the garden. Now, this upcoming Tuesday, the Tuesday after Sexagesima, is the commemoration of the Passion of Christ, which is a feast listed in the pre-1962 Missal and observed in some places. It was instituted with the purpose of providing a devout remembrance and honor of Christ's suffering for the redemption of mankind. It is the patronal feast of the Passionist Order. We don't have to be Passionists or hear Mass using the propers from this office to add the colic prayer from this to our own devotional life this upcoming Tuesday and really focus on the spirituality of this feast day. And this is what the Facebook page Restore the 54 says of this feast day. Quote, the votive feast of the commemoration of the Passion of our Lord Jesus Christ is always the Tuesday after Sexagesima. This feast can be found in the supplement to the Roman Missal. In this case, except for a proper colic, this refers to the, the priest to the votive mass of the Passion. Pope Leo XIII included these feasts of the Passion and instruments of the passage as votive offices in the breviary before the revision of Divina Flatu from 1911-1913. However, the designation of it um, means really little, as it's always celebrated in the diocese where one resides, or it is celebrated out of custom by an order or country or territory as a whole. Now, um, there's also a link. If you go in the show notes, you can take a link to the article. There's a link to the 1911 Catholic Encyclopedia, which is a whole f- history of this uh, feast. But what I wanted to focus on is just that colic. So um, the people who are going to be saying Mass of this, for instance, the Passionists and, and others, they're going to be using really the vote of Mass of the Passion with a proper colic. And this is the colic, which so beautifully can be said every day, but especially this Tuesday. Almighty and everlasting God, who is a pattern of lowliness for mankind to follow, did us bring our Savior to take flesh and undergo the cross. Mercifully grant that as we celebrate the solemn commemoration of his passion, so we may also deserve to have the schooling of his long-suffering and partnership of his resurrection. Really beautiful to focus on these forgotten and unknown feast days. As I mentioned at the beginning of the year in January, going deeper in the liturgical year, a focus of an article I wrote on January 2nd this year for 1 Peter 5's website is to focus on things like praying the martyrology each day, focusing on these devotional feasts set in some places, focusing on the different votive masses throughout the week. That's how we're going deeper Now's a good time to also say, how are you making progress in those Catholic resolutions you hopefully said at the beginning of the year? Hopefully they've not been forgotten like so many people forget New Year's resolutions. What have you set out to do well this year for the faith? And if you've fallen, if you've never made any, 
it doesn't matter because now we're about ready to begin Lent. And this is truly when we can make that great spiritual progress. So really write out, literally write out the things that you're going to do this Lent for your own improvement. That is under prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. You should have something or several under both, and you should have other optional uh, devotions, penances, activities, and, uh, disciplines, etc. that you're adding and work with somebody, whether it be a family member, friend, for an accountability partner, to at least say, these are what I'm trying to do this Lent. Hold me accountable. Check in once a week and see how I'm doing. You'll find that that can be extremely helpful in actually helping you make progress on these matters. So these are some thoughts I really wanted to focus on today on sexagesima as we are beginning to get closer and closer to the start of Lent. But on to the last topic of this episode, I'd like to address some of the upcoming feast days this week, and there's many, so I cannot focus on all these saints in detail. So again, please check out the link to the show notes and live liturgically and each day read up. I have an article on all of these saints you can read up on their different lives. So February 4th, that is today, but if it was not a Sunday, it would be celebrated as the feast day of St. Andrew Corsini, who was a bishop and a confessor. He was born in the 14th century in Florence, Italy. He fell into bad company, but soon touched by the grief of his mother, the young nobleman entered the Carmelite order in the year 1318. And for 40 years, he spent his life in doing penance and in preaching. He was then chosen as bishop of a small town near Florence. He continually helped the poor, doing so in secret in the case of in case of those who were ashamed to make known their distress. And by showing his people the true nature of Christian peace, Bishop Andrew put an end to a number of troublesome disturbances in the city. He died in the Feast of Our Lord's Epiphany in the year 1373. As a bishop, he redoubled his penances and prayers. Uh, we should hope and pray that more bishops follow his example. He was canonized in 1629. Pope Clement XII of the Carinzi family built a magnificent chapel dedicated to him, in St. John Lateran's in Rome, and each year for this occasion, a high-ranking member of the Roman Curia celebrates Mass in the chapel of the Lateran Archbasilica, dedicated to St. Andrew. Now, tomorrow, February 5th, is the Feast of St. Agatha. He, uh, she was martyred uh, under the governor of Sicily, who tried in vain to force her to consent to sin. Now, she died in Sicily on February 5th in the year 251, and her name appears in the Roman canon. For those who would like to read more information regarding her heroic example in martyrdom, I will have a link in the show notes. But it's worth mentioning that St. Agatha is one of the few women mentioned in the Roman canon, so we should certainly invoke her name, especially this upcoming February 5th, and pray especially for all women, uh, especially those for, uh, forced into prostitution, for those who struggle with human trafficking especially, that she free them from these torments, and that she bring about the conversion of all those who try to force people, force women especially, to, to convent to sin. Now, February 6th is a traditional feast day of St. Titus. He was a fellow companion of St. Paul on apostolic missions. A convert from paganism, he went on to serve the church, ultimately, as the Bishop of Crete. It proved to be a difficult responsibility because the inhabitants there and the spread of erroneous doctrines on the Isle of Crete. St. Paul's writings tell us that St. Titus rejoiced in the good in others and drew the hearts of men by his affectionate sympathy. At the age of 94, St. Titus died of natural causes, and he also uh, lived in the state of virginity his entire life. This was Dom Garanger writes of him. 
Quote, we are to celebrate today the feast of a holy bishop of the apostolic age, a disciple of the apostle St. Paul. Little is known for his life, but by addressing to him one of his inspired epistles, the apostle of Gentiles has immortalized his memory. Wheresoever the faith of Christ has been or shall be preached, Titus's name has been venerated by the faithful, and as long as the world lasts, the Holy Church will read to her children this epistle, which was written indeed to a simple bishop of the Isle of Crete, but dictated by the Holy Ghost, and therefore destined to be part of those sacred scriptures which contain the word of God. The counsels and directions given in this admirable letter were the rule of the Holy Bishop, for whom St. Paul entertained a very strong affection. St. Titus had the honor of establishing the Christian religion in that famous island, which was one of the strongholds of paganism. He survived his master, who was put to death by Nero, and like St. John, he swept, he sweetly slept in Christ at a very advanced age, respected and loved by the church he founded. As we have already observed, his life left but few traces behind it, but those few are sufficient to prove him to be one of those wonderful men whom God chose as directors of his infant church." End quote. So St. Titus, you know, mentioned in the scriptures, worth especially remembering this uh, upcoming February 6th. February 6th is also the commemoration of St. Dorothy in the office and the mass. She was a virgin of Cappadocia who was condemned to be beheaded towards the end of the third century. Before her execution, she had the happiness of winning for Christ to apostate who had been ordered to pervert her. But she triumphed over those insults and ultimately brought about their conversion. Now, February 7th is the traditional feast day of St. Romuald, who was born in Ravenia, Italy, and lived a wild youth far from observing the commands of the gospel. After watching his father die in a duel, St. Romuald sought to atone for the crime by becoming a Benedictine monk. And from the year 996 to 999 AD, he served as abbot. He established several hermitages and monasteries in northern and central Italy, and he tried to evangelize the Slavs with little success, he is best remembered for founding the Camelodotian Benedictines. For the last 14 years of his life, he lived in seclusion. He was also a spiritual teacher of, of certain uh, souls, including St. Wolfgang. On June 19, 1027, St. Romuald died in Italy of natural causes. His body is incorrupt, and his relics are, were translated on February 7, 1481. In the year 1582, he was canonized by Pope Gregory the Thirteenth and Pope Clement the Eighth added his name to the general Roman calendar in the year fifteen ninety five. February eighth is the special feast day in honor of Saint John and Martha, and of course Saint John and Martha is uh, connected with the Order of the Most Holy Trinity, which was founded about eighty kilometers northeast of Paris at the end of the twelfth century, with Saint John de Martha as the founder. The Trinitarian Order and its rule of life were given. Church approval by Innocent III uh, in a document that he issued on December 17th, 1198. We don't have time to go into his life in more detail, but you can read more of it in the show notes. And we should pray, especially, I believe, on this day for those souls who are captives of sin, as well as those who are currently enslaved, in a sense, spiritually in lands outside of where the Christian cross is prominent, especially in lands overseas. Now, February 9th is the feast day of St. Cyril of Alexandria, who is known as the Doctor of the Incarnation. He took a fearless stand against the Nestorian heretics who deny the second person, the Blessed Trinity, was made man. As the Pope's legate, 
St. Cyril presided over the Third General Council held at Ephesus in 431, and the clear statements of this great council regarding the Incarnation define that the Son of God is both God and man, and that the Blessed Virgin Mary, his mother, is truly the mother of God. Of St. Cyril, it may be said, using the words from the Scriptures, nations shall declare his wisdom, and the Church shall show forth his praise. Again, more information will be in the show notes. February 9th is also the commemoration of St. Apollonia. Uh, she was a virgin of Alexandria who died from Christ, died for Christ during the bloody persecution of the faithful in the year 249. This is what's stated in the Roman Martyrology. At Alexandria, in the reign of Dacius, the birthday of St. Apollonia Virgin, who had all her teeth broken out by the persecutors, then having constructed and lighted a pyre, they threatened to burn her alive unless she uttered with them certain impious words, Deliberating a while within herself, she suddenly slipped from their grasp, and prompted by the greater fire of the Holy Ghost with them, she rushed voluntarily into the fire which they had prepared for her. Those responsible for her death were struck with terror at the sight of a woman who was more willing to die than they to kill her. This account was preserved in a letter of Fabius, Bishop of Antioch in what is now Syria, and as a result of the death she suffered, she is the patron saint of dentists. And February 10th, this upcoming Saturday, is the Feast of St. Scholastica, the sister of St. Benedict. Again, you'll have more information in the show notes if you'd like to learn more. Thank you, everybody, for listening. May God grant you a most blessed week, and let us strive for greater holiness this and every week. Ad maiorum Dei Gloriam. We do